Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. So tonight, let's continue our exploration of the implications of the teachings of Sri Ramana. And in particular, <clears throat> let's uh, look at the dimensions of uh, existence that uh, are uh, referred to as the will to power, the famous uh, phrase of Friedrich Nietzsche as the operating principle of <clears throat> subjectivity, uh, the seductions of epistemophilia, which is a big word to refer to Melanie Klein's understanding of the uh, the ego <clears throat> in its uh, healthier modes of growth and maturations, coming to love uh, knowledge, episteme, epistemology, the study of, of the theory of knowledge. What does it mean to know? And the seductions of epistemophilia mean the ways in which knowledge can actually distract us from growth and maturation at a certain point and, uh, and cause our uh, trajectory of development to become uh, deviated from the uh, optimal path. And then the politics of ontology ontology referring to the philosophical uh, discipline that studies uh, being or the real or just what is. And so uh, Sri Ramana has given us very important insights and revelations about these three points that were not uh, accessible to, uh, to the West for the simple reason that we did not have a living model uh, that represented the highest levels of development of consciousness in the West, not for a long time. And, uh, and here, a living model of one who is victorious over all of the seductions and the entrapments of lower consciousness and the various uh, wills that are not uh, the, the true will of the real, of what is in the, in the deepest sense of the source of our being. Uh, Ramana has, uh, has revealed through his charitra, his actual life, and uh, the performance of uh, a, a victorious, liberated existence, that overcame all of the uh, seductions of uh, comfort and uh, of, uh, let's say, any um, uh, need for support or otherness or engagement with uh, the world to be uh, appreciated or recognized or known or any of the, uh, let's say, uh, 
comforts of uh, bodily existence and excess, let's say, that are the ego in its usual uh, levels of development are prone to give in to at the price of self-sovereignty. Ramana was an example of one who did not compromise with uh, the, um, let's say, uh, the, the temptations uh, to fall into an ordinary existence or into a life that settled for its phenomenal plain reach rather than its transcendental capabilities that would enable a, uh, a power to move through one's life that the ego is incapable of gathering and, uh, and using to maintain its strength and its clarity and its purity of being. So, uh, it's important to understand that Sri Ramana was literally dragged to Arunachala. He had no intention of going there. So, in the case of Ramana, it's not a, uh, a story about the will to power, but the will of power. The supreme power willed him to come to the holy mountain and to be the mouthpiece and the living performativity uh, model of, uh, of liberated reality and existence. And... Uh, and the human expression of the significance of Arunachala, Achala meaning the immovable, unchangeable power of being, and Aruna meaning the light, the luminous radiance of the Supreme Presence that comes through that unmoving power. So Arunachala Shiva, Arunachala Ramana, Arunachala as the archetype that became materialized in a living form as well as in the form of a mountain and in the form of a, uh, a consciousness who is able to sustain the supreme level and vibrational frequency of, of God that is the rarest achievement possible, the highest, the rarest, the most precious achievement possible, and, uh, and was proved to be possible. And it's this that, that Ramana enables us to claim as our own birthright, as our own possibility for our existence. So the will to power, as Nietzsche would interpret it, was not a, a will of an ego, but the will uh, in, in almost a Schopenhauerian sense. Uh, if you remember Schopenhauer's book, The World as Will and Idea, the, the idea in, in Schopenhauer's uh, understanding was that there is a blind will 
to, uh, to, to life and to the development of all the potentialities of life that moves through one and creates drives and affects that overpower the consciousness of the ego and inflect one's life toward the fulfillment of intentions that are not the ego's own intentions. And, uh, and Nietzsche, I think, carried that further and said it's not actually a blind will, it's a will that's very much guided toward the unfoldment of all of those potentialities that are latent within each individual, but it's not based on an individual consciousness, but on the co collective or the consciousness of the whole, of the ecosystem, of the cosmos, in fact. There's no limit because it comes from that source that is uh, the, the source of reality itself. It's a, literally an ontological power. It's, it's the power that is the manifestation of being that moves through each individual and actually choreographs the relationality of individuals in their uh, complex interrelationships that they themselves do not understand because the individual sees only one slice of itself at a time as it goes through the illusion of time and space. I think Nietzsche would have been comfortable with David Bohm's idea of the implicate order as underlying the explicate order of the phenomenal plane. But what I think Nietzsche did not get that Ramana did reveal is the non-duality of the implicate order and the explicate order. The two are not two, they are one. And so although the consciousness of the ego going through time does not understand its future state of being once it has transcended its own egoic limitations and the pathologies of the conditionings of the ego and uh, has healed itself and, and released itself of those structural impediments of the increase of consciousness. Once, uh, once the, the ego mind has died, then the entirety of its presence as the implicate order that's timeless can, can see itself, can know itself. And this is what the meaning of the term Maharshi or Maharishi is. What did Ramana see? Maharishi means the great seer. He saw through his own death his eternal presence and his nature as the implicate order of reality as a whole, not as some individual, but literally the self writ large as that cosmic consciousness expressing itself in the, the final apocalyptic revelation of the, the truth of the, of the nature of reality on this phenomenal plane as the expression of the noumenal, of God consciousness. And so that was what he not only was able to see, but to become, to realize, to sustain in his life. Many people have glimpses of this, but how many hold it, how many sustain it, how many live it and never lose it? It's this that separates Ramana from all the rest of uh, the, the human species in that sense.
one moment of that revelation and the going through ego death. And the ego never returned. He did not allow it to return. He remained in that unmoving, unshakable presence uh, that, that accepted the implicate order. And through the surrender of the will to power, as an individual, the will of that supreme power moved through him and took over his life. And through being possessed by that power and with no residue or remainder of ego or of separate individuality, that power functioned without a glitch, without a distortion, without a deviation, and in its full capacity to express itself in multiple dimensions of uh, understanding and of uh, transmission. So Ramana gave the, through his life and through the teachings, an understanding of what power really is. Because although the postmodern ego is totally obsessed with power, it has no idea of what power really is because it only has the most primitive fantasies of power that are based on popularity and fame and uh, financial fortune and uh, uh, having a string of uh, attractive sexual partners or uh, some kind of uh, special talent or something else that makes one stand out as a somebody. You know, it's that kind of... Uh, a very uh, infantile approach to what power is that is the vanity of a narcissistic ego and has nothing to do with real power. It's the breaking through of that level of the powerless ego with its insatiable desire for recognition and approval and domination over the other that uh, is the, the gift that Ramana has given to us and to the world as an entirely new vision of what power really is. And this is the power of God literally moving through the individual and granting that eternal life and eternal love and eternal bliss uh, that is the compensation for the price that one pays, which is the absolute renunciation of everything one thought one was and everything one thought one depended upon, including the body and its health and its comforts and its, uh, its uh, sense of uh, relationality to biological family or social uh, system or culture or religion or any of the other uh, signifiers of identity that are actually the impediments to the attainment of real power. And so Ramana broke through all of those illusions, and this is where the, the seductions of epistemophilia stop most people, because in the growth and maturation of most egos who develop at least within, uh, let's say, the Western canon of uh, symbolic uh, development and uh, philosophical understanding and uh, scientific sophistication, etc. There is uh, a power that is given by the insights 
of psychoanalysis and philosophy and science that uh, can uh, seduce one into believing that that symbolic sense of understanding is sufficient to grant one a, uh, a, a sustainable sense of empowerment that, uh, that gives one a ground on which to stand. But it turns out that knowledge uh, on the phenomenal plane level is, is completely uh, unstable. It's temporary. It suffers from the same flux of impermanence as do the, uh, the forms of material entities uh, themselves. And so we have witnessed, for example, a, uh, uh, an extraordinary shift in the understanding of the nature of reality from uh, the beginning of the 20th century uh, until now that has shaken the very ground and roots of uh, the Western understanding of, uh, of what is. And this gets now into the politics of ontology because I remember during most of the period in which I was going through formal education in universities, uh, it was not only heretical, but it was ridiculed if one was anything but a hardcore materialist. And you couldn't get a job in most universities. And one of the reasons I didn't bother to go through the, the final formal study of psychology is it was all based on uh, on, on behaviorism and on the analysis of, uh, of what you can do to rats' brains and, and, and rabbits' nictitating membranes in their eyes through conditioned uh, reflex experimentation and discover the neurological basis of consciousness that can then be uh, metaphorically applied to human consciousness through the same kind of mind control uh, techniques that the, the behaviorists have discovered uh, are, uh, are workable with uh, other animal forms and the complete reductionistic approach toward human life that lacks any spiritual dimension or any sense of morality or any sense of, uh, of the development of consciousness be beyond the reward system that can be offered to an ego to sustain its interest in accommodating the, uh, the desires of the, uh, the power that can inflict such an experiment to, uh, to uh, coerce the subjects of the experiment to adapt to the conditions of the environment that are created by the experimental uh, laboratory technicians. And so there became this uh, technical approach to, uh, to the understanding of, uh, of human psychology that, uh, in a sense, affirmed the worst and the lowest levels of, uh, of, of the potentialities of humanity in its inhumane uh, desire to dominate over the, uh, the consciousness of others which is then enacted in the form of disinformation and in the form of all the various kinds of deceptiveness that we face in trying to 
gather uh, credible information about the nature of reality. But uh, th there are, I think there were until very recently, uh, there was a lock on the, uh, the chairmanships of all the various departments and, and pretty much all the leading universities, at least of the US and I think of Europe, in which uh, <clears throat> there was maybe in some of the Ivy League schools uh, one place for, for uh, an idealist, you know, as kind of a museum piece to look at this character here who believes that, uh, that, that there is mind rather than matter at the fundament of reality. But uh, for the most part, they were there as a laughingstock for the materialists to make fun of, uh, you know, in the uh, faculty lounge. And there was very little attention paid to the possibility that any other uh, paradigm of reality was even worth considering. And then suddenly, uh, the ground began to crumble away from materialism. And, uh, and the, the, the clear evidence of quantum physics, the clear evidence that was coming through from, uh, from various strands, including the, uh, the, the Jung-Pauli uh, conjecture based on synchronicity and the psychoidal nature of reality that quantum physics was, uh, was, was delivering in alignment with, uh, with psychology, at least of depth psychology. And the information and the, uh, let's say, the uh, transmission of new insights that were coming from the, the movement of, uh, of the, uh, let's say, psychedelic revolution and the, the taking of LSD and the various other uh, mind-expanding chemicals that began to have differential effects upon the mind, producing vibrational frequencies not controllable by behavioristic means, and that led to an entirely different panorama of potentialities of consciousness, as well as uh, that which was coming from Eastern metaphysics and the practice of meditation and yoga that was coming into the West. So an entirely new frame of reference was developing that has literally undermined materialism with within almost the blink of an eye and uh, has led to uh, a complete shakeup within the politics of the establishment of the academies, at least. It hasn't yet trickled down to the population at large. So I would say that what is still the main obstacle of most people to come to an ashram like this or to engage in a, a spiritual life with seriousness, not just dabbling in an occasional meditation retreat or uh, in, uh, let's say, an ayahuasca retreat in Peru or something like that, but a serious engagement with consciousness uh, is uh, the fear of madness and, and the fear uh, of that other people will think you are mad. And, and it's that uh, a fear of becoming too different from the other members of your family and your social group and your church group and your 
uh, your, your professional colleagues and all of that, that they will all look at you like you are crazy. That, that prevents people from taking the leap into a paradigm that is uh, ontologically forbidden territory if you want to be accepted into uh, the frame of reference in which other people will be able to relate to you comfortably. And so you have to let go of uh, and, and be completely disinterested in those kinds of relationships that depend upon your compromising your own identity and your own uh, capacity for transcendence of the ego in order to fit in to those models of reality that uh, inherently stunt your growth and keep you limited to a phenomenal plain slice of who you are rather than to the fullness of the implicate order of your essential nature that would be available to you, but at the price of being an outcast or a, a crucified victim of the, uh, the social order's uh, retaliation against one's uh, daring to know too much uh, and to uh, go beyond uh, the limits of uh, what you're allowed to know and to see and to become. Even Ramana, in his uh, establishment of the ashram, went way beyond the limits of what uh, Hinduism allowed in, uh, in his uh, uh, refusal to go along with all of the caste uh, purity rules of the Brahmins and the, the, uh, the food rules regarding the garlic and onion issue and all the various other issues that you might think are, are petty and uh, small, but to uh, a Hindu fundamentalist are, are not that at all. And so it's uh, Ramana's ability to, uh, to be completely... Uh, uh, uncaring uh, about the way that uh, his, uh, his political lack of correctness would be perceived, his complete freedom from uh, the worry about the other's imaginary was uh, astonishing in, in his ability to uh, be completely free of any of the constraints of the social order. Uh, or even uh, of the constraints of the sadhu order and of the, uh, the ways that one uh, is uh, supposed to become uh, a sannyasi, a renunciate. So he even renounced the, the principles of renunciation and, uh, and became much more radically free than uh, th those other beings who followed the rules even in their attempt to transcend the rules and who followed only the, uh, the spontaneous orders of the immovable presence of the supreme power. So R Ramana gave us a, a new politics of ontological being, ontological uh, presence that, uh, that reveals that that supreme power 
is now moving through the world in a new way. And in the same way that it has crumbled the materialist paradigm forever. And you will, you will see that, uh, that, that if, you, if you investigate what's happening within the, uh, the uh, let's say, university institutions, that there's a, there's a total chaos. Uh, literally, the, the system is breaking down into, uh, it's not just at the edge of chaos, the system is, is well into a, a, a total chaotic decomposition that is creating new possibilities of integration of interdisciplinary understandings. And so it's a time in which uh, new possibilities for the synthesis and the integration of, uh, of, let's say, fields of knowledge that had before not been allowed to be put together because of the, uh, the uh, political uh, intentions to make sure that no one had an integral understanding of everything so that everyone would have to simply follow the rules of what they need to know. Uh, to fit into a particular discipline and therefore not be able to make uh, moral decisions about the overarching context in which, let's say, technological developments would take place. So they, in other words, they had to solve the problem of how do you get scientists like an Einstein who are very uh, humanitarian and uh, and who, who have a love of life and of art and of beauty and of goodness. How do you get them to create atomic bombs for you? How do you get them to create uh, ICBMs? How do you get them to create surveillance systems and uh, other forms of domination? You can only do that through this uh, splitting off of the discipline from its own ethical foundations in human reality. And, uh, and so that uh, capacity now has been broken through. And, and so suddenly there, there are uh, revolutionary developments of resistance uh, to power and uh, intentions of uh, breaking free in order to speak truth to power. But there's also a lack of truth and a lack of the power to speak because we have lost and atrophied our capacity to be connected to the real power that has the capacity to overcome the will of the majoritarian uh, system, let's say, even in its crumbling and in the death throes of its uh, incoherence. There isn't a sufficient coherence of the self that can speak through a voice of truth that can inspire and open up the minds of those who have been uh, broken apart into uh, dissociated fragments of ego into an interiorized wholeness that can then move beyond the limitations of the social order or the other paradigms in which they have been entrapped and to break free into liberated consciousness as Ramana did. But that movement is underway and it's that that is the, uh, let's say, miraculous and yet under the radar uh, uh, event 
that uh, is rumbling through the world and bringing about an awakening, uh, but a very creeping, slow awakening that uh, is from the grassroots moving through human consciousness and, uh, and, and through non-human consciousness as well. And I don't just mean lower non-human, but uh, non-human of, uh, let's say, uh, interplanetary nature of, uh, of beings who are uh, forming part of the, uh, the system of a new reality that is gradually coming into being, thanks to the, let's say, uh, I think a, a lot of it should be owed to the developments of one of the great Western yogis, Nikola Tesla, and his discovery of scalar force. And that capacity for instantaneous, faster-than-light communication that even quantum physics is still suppressing, but that enabled an interplanetary communication to take place on a, thanks to an experiment that Tesla accomplished without the help of a grant from any institution, and uh, was able to, uh, to bring about a, um, let's say, uh, a meeting of minds that uh, transcended that of the, the mere human level of consciousness that has consistently been uh, developing in uh, non-public uh, forums of the, uh, uh, the consciousnesses who are freeing themselves from the fear of, uh, of the, uh, let's say, the xenophobia uh, of, uh, of the human egos uh, being outmatched by levels of intelligence that it uh, cannot uh, uh, keep up with, and, uh, and that it must, therefore, uh, return to and depend upon a power that transcends its own capacity for uh, the understanding of the logic of, uh, of the development of higher technology within this plane through the uh, access of a power that transcends the mere technical and the mere phenomenal. And so it's, it's this meeting that requires the divinization of human consciousness in order to provide a level playing field in which a, uh, a meeting, a meeting ground of, uh, of let's say, uh, cosmic consciousnesses can, uh, can uh, regroup without the... Uh, contamination by paranoia or by uh, the conflict of uh, egoic forms of, uh, of separate identifications that uh, are uh, possibly in competition with one another or in relationships of subservience or domination. So this uh, new frame of reference requires the transcendence of ego if we are to meet the challenge of this, uh, this moment in history in, in which uh, the entire provincial 
uh, belief system of the human uh, consciousness in its current form of understanding uh, is, has to completely fall away in the presence of an awesome revelation of that which only a mind as large as that of Ramana Maharishi will be able to contain and uh, to mobilize toward its actualization in the most beautiful form in which uh, both destruction and uh, reabsorption into the unmanifest absolute and recreation of the cosmic dream can be contained within a, a presence and an intelligence and a luminous uh, trans-individual, trans-cosmic consciousness can bring to birth spontaneously and effortlessly as simply a function of its own uh, authorization by the Absolute. I think that's all I'm supposed to say tonight. <laughs> so I'll open the floor. If any of this made sense to anyone. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm uh, helping a young boy, 13 years old, with his English. And he talked to me about Tesla. Tesla, mm hmm So I, I, uh, I looked it up. <coughs> mm -hmm. And um, what I read, too, was that uh, he supposedly was going mad in his little apartment. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah, that's right. And um, most of his works were confiscated. They were confiscated by the CIA. Yeah, that's right. And they're still not released. Sure. Now, he was the greatest genius of the age. Produced everything, the electricity systems, everything was owed to him. But he, uh, he discovered free energy, and the capitalists didn't like that. So they jettisoned him and, and took away his income, etc. But, you know, he, he met Vivekananda, who was visiting the U.S. And, uh, and, and Vivekananda explained to him Advaita Vedanta and all of that. And Tesla said, okay, I get it. That's, that's what I've been I'm developing myself all along. It's the same science but I've been developing its technological applications. So they were, they were clearly on the same uh, stream of consciousness. So, I'm curious what you're saying, that it's actually destroying the system, is this capacity to see everything else? It's happening along with the resistance to it, but the resistance, because of its incoherence, actually accelerates the chaos. <clears throat> because the more the system uh, resists knowledge, the more it's unable to function, because it requires knowledge. Uh, you can't maintain a technological grid without people with a lot of knowledge and a lot of maturity and, and a lot of capacity to deal with stress. 
and who don't have attention deficit, who can stay focused. You know, when your uh, nuclear reactor is having a meltdown and know how to uh, set it right again. And there are very few engineers capable of fulfilling the functions of sustaining a technological grid, let alone uh, not just a technological grid, but a, a grid of, let's say, public health. Like right now, there's a secret epidemic of Ebola that's spreading around the world, and they're trying to keep it hidden. And the CDC and all of these institutions that should be protecting and, uh, and creating uh, conditions of quarantine, et cetera, are simply hiding it because they can't handle it. They know that they are actually even responsible for it and that uh, they, they have no means of preventing the panic that will destroy uh, the system uh, by, by showing that it is unable to deal with the problems that it itself has created. And so that, uh, that's just one of, of you know, almost a, an endless list of problems self-created by the system's own desire to use uh, uh, bio-weapons of disease and, and weapons of every sort that are all completely immoral and uh, toward the hegemonic control of, uh, of the world that are now uh, backlashing against uh, their employers. And so the system can't admit its own guilt in, in this uh, rupture of, of the capacity to sustain order. Yes, so it seems like uh, there will see many people who are very conscious, supposedly, that they're, they're in paralysis, but they can see the whole mess right now. Like Some can. And I think in the climate change world or whatever, like, sure. disclosure has been more... Yeah, but they're still not allowed to admit it, you see. They're but they see it. Like they see some it, do. Mess, mm -hmm. But there's no what to do, like the paralysis you were talking yesterday. Mm -hmm. But it seems like that connection is being made, like everyone is realizing of the mess at, at some yeah. level. Somehow. Sure. The, my phone listens to me and just keeps me the articles of, mm -hmm. of the people that is waking up to these things, so I never know what's really happening. Sure. Um, but but uh, so that capacity to see, but incapacity to respond to that mm -hmm. whole that mm -hmm. they can see or that connection. And I can feel it sometimes. No, not here because you show us the exit in a way or the way out to that mess, but that feeling of paralysis is uh, vision and paralysis at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, how to. And they're like, what to do? Like, that's the question, what to do? Right. Well, they know that anything they do is impossible to fix the mess. From the ego level, it can't be fixed. Yeah. That's right. So, but what, what is going to happen next? Well, I think the higher level of consciousness that can solve the problem will reveal itself ever more as uh, the only uh, oasis of sanity and empowerment and, uh, and survivability that will then create n new centers of power that are completely separate from the current centers that are collapsing. And, uh, and that will, will bring a shift into a new world order of a kind that is not foreseen by, by the current forces that want to maintain power. 
because uh, all of the, uh, the present uh, fictions upon which their power is based uh, are losing their credibility and their, uh, their, their um, attraction to, uh, to the, the, uh, the people who recognize that uh, the financial system and, and the other systems have no, uh, no inherent value and so everyone's looking for what actually has real value, what has the ability to sustain life when all of the other things we've depended on have failed. And that's what is about to be revealed. You, you talked about the quantum physics as an opening for change. Mm -hmm. uh, what about the, the, the study of the brain in the meditation by the neurologist. Yeah, unfortunately, they still want to believe that the brain generates consciousness. And so uh, they are actually, I think, a, an obstacle toward understanding consciousness because consciousness has nothing to do with the brain except that the brain functions as a, a transceiver of consciousness. It, it functions as the same way as a radio. Uh, but your radio doesn't create the programs that you can tune into. They come through waves from somewhere else. Where do the brain waves actually originate? The mind waves, not just the localized brain waves that are produced by the neurons because they are at the effect, but the, the waves that they can't actually perceive yet because they don't have the technology for that that actually uh, bring consciousness into the body and control what happens that the, the brain and the ego mind uh, have no understanding of or control of. These, these higher forces of consciousness that are not brain-based are, are completely beyond the neurologist's ability to understand. And, and because they are stuck, uh, on this belief that we have to understand the neurological, uh, uh, let's say, map of the brain as if that's where uh, the, the power of consciousness is generated, that, that, that's a dead end uh, and, and they'll never find what they're looking for. It's, it would be in the same way that you feel your computer and where is it hot to, to figure out, okay, where, where is the operating system you know, functioning? It's not about the hardware and it's not even about the software of the ego structure that psychoanalysis is looking at, but it's about an entirely different level of consciousness in which the body is an appearance within thought, you see? They can't comprehend the fact that, that we are all living within a dream that's being produced by a consciousness that's so far beyond anything that appears within it that, that uh, we have to totally surrender to this consciousness that's transcendent of the world and dreaming us into this situation in which we think we have to solve a problem but it's all part of, uh, of God's sense of humor. And so once they, they can't observe it, they, can measure, they can't measure it, so it doesn't exist for them. No, and they can't solve the problem of how does consciousness emerge out of, out of matter, but it doesn't emerge out of matter. Matter is simply an artifact of consciousness itself, but not an individual consciousness. It's a, it's a consciousness of cosmic dimensions.
um, I see what you mean by um, like uh, Ramana's Charitra being reflected in the world in terms of the philosophies that have, are the philosophy of materialism that's governed the, the world view uh, being broken down. <coughs> but at the same time, it seems like what we're seeing in culture is an ever more uh, narcissistic, imaginary, autistic uh, culture developing at the same time. So with a psychological level of maturity that's dropping lower and lower and lower, how will that, uh, how will people, even if the, let's say, the uh, wider social philosophies are shifting, how will people who are at that stage of total psychological immaturity, attention deficit, all of these sorts of things be able to metabolize that? Um, <clears throat> be, because, you see, they're in a state of collapse. They can't function. If they were successful in be being able to lead imaginary lives as the puer eternus and get away with a Peter Pan existence, they, then, then nothing uh, would change, but they can't anymore. They're in a state of collapse, they're in a state of massive addiction and the use of opioids and all of this because they're, they're in a, a, a total uh, uh, meltdown and a nightmare of a failure. And, and it's because of that. And the system can't help them. The psychiatric system can't help them, the political system, social system. Nothing uh, is of use. And so once a, a, a power comes that will enable them to dissolve the ego structure in which they are held uh, in bondage, uh, can, can, uh, can have sufficient power because of its vibrational frequency that uh, transmits a coherence that literally shifts morphogenetically the content of their consciousness so that they can download into the brain a new level of being. Uh, this is what's going to make the change happen. But it's literally a question of the amount of force that can be conveyed that can overcome the resistance of the, uh, the egos that are in a state of collapse. And, uh, and still resistance, but a resistance that no longer has the force to hold back the, the force of a higher consciousness that is going to overwhelm it. So this is where the will to power actually is going to prove you know, its ultimate relevance but it's going to be the power of God that forces his way into the consciousness of that, those beings who will remain. There will be a very small population on the earth soon. So we're going to have a totally different context in, in which this transformation from one age to another takes place. But uh, it will take place uh, effortlessly because that, that force of the supreme power is going to make the transformation happen. It's not something that's going to happen on an individual, oh, we've got to do something about this kind of level, but, but literally a cosmic shift.
along with uh, the epistemophilia and paleontology, uh, that I'm ever more cognizant that in our satsangs, mm. here especially, um, it's almost as if there could be a dog barking and, and speaking, mm -hmm. because what is being um, I perceive more than what is being said in, in the wisdom is, is waves of the energy that are mm -hmm. uh, very unique to the setting. Yeah, I, they, they don't come in when I'm sitting at chanting Elia, mm -hmm. but in, especially in the satsangs, mm -hmm. uh, there's such force mm -hmm. and um, it's un undeniable the waves that uh, being uh, received and, and obviously being transmitted to our gathering here. But um, what you are saying and what you say and all the wisdom that does return to this mind often in meditations and throughout the day um, is, is being it's activate, what's being activated is, seems to be so much more subtle mm -hmm. uh, and um, waves of energy is, is, is the best I can relate mm -hmm. as you spoke. And, and when you're giving this description just now to Purusha about what, will make, what makes the shifts, uh, this invisible force, this mm -hmm. power, is, uh, I don't know, is, is this what perhaps I'm trying to describe that's mm -hmm. being transmitted right. to us all? Yes, that's right. And, and it's the force that is what counts. You know, if the force isn't with you, then the, the symbolic knowledge is of no value. And that's why this kind of, uh, of conversation even is of very limited value, except for the fact that its backdrop is, as you say, the real energy that uh, this is only, in a way, disguising and allowing uh, to, to move under the radar of the, of the conversation on a symbolic level. But this is real, and it's real three that's moving through real one, that's, that's shifting the, uh, the context of, of existence and opening the heart and bringing one into a state of, uh, of surrealistic, uncanny recognition of something happening that, uh, that Mr. Jones can't understand, you know? So uh, it's, it's that, the fulfillment of, uh, of everything that was foreseen already in the 60s, but that couldn't be conveyed and that, that couldn't be grasped simply through an acid trip, but that, that is so far beyond anything that the consciousness can uh, conceptualize that it just blows away the, the whole structure of the, of the logic of the ego and enables that power to take over the mind. So that's, that's what's happening. And it will happen in the beginning, just in these oases of, uh, of vibrational frequency of, of communities like this. But as their power grows, uh, they will become hubs of a network and a grid of consciousness that's of planetary and interplanetary dimensionality. And that will, will soon 
have no interest in even in relating to the formal centers of power that are in collapse, they will have to come here. We won't have to go there and beg for an audience. It will be a, a whole different level of a, of a hierarchy of intelligence that will be operating, but in a non-egoic format that will uh, enable everyone to feel safe and secure in uh, a surrender to a legitimacy of authority that is cosmic and, and transcosmic in nature. So uh, it's this that will bring about a shift of loyalties that otherwise the ego could never uh, accept or uh, commit to, uh, to wanting to receive a, a dispensation of, uh, of intelligence and power and, uh, and, and energy that would uh, enable a transformation to take place that will dissolve the ego. But that's what is the passport into this new order and what will be required of everyone. Okay, how many people found this useful? Yeah? How many would like me to continue with this madness and, uh, and develop it even further? Because uh, there's a lot more, but uh, thank you. Uh, not everyone uh, is uh, open to uh, having their minds blown away by uh, information that won't fit into any ordinary paradigm of reality. But uh, this is where the world is heading, and uh, I'm just an instrument uh, acting in accordance with my own orders to, uh, to share what has been received. So thank you all for uh, being willing to participate in uh, going beyond the bounds of accepted reality and, uh, and daring the, uh, the frontiers of madness to discover transcendental wisdom and empowerment. Namaste. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste.